I want to start a programming language called Type. And that way people can say, is TypeScript like type? This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., Bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jammer link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 167 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. Amy Knight. Hello. Dave Smith. Hi, everybody. Joe Eames. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. We have two special guests this week. We have Jonathan Turner. Hey. And Alex Eagle. Hello there. Do you two want to introduce yourselves? Sure, Alex, you want to go first? I mean, alphabetically, you come first. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 been that way all my life. Yeah. Um, so so my name is Alex Eagle. I work at Google. I'm on the Angular team. I started at the beginning of this year after coming from a few years doing developer tooling at Google for uh, mostly around build, test, and release. So um, I have a lot of background in in developer tooling, and now I've been working on the TypeScript migration and TypeScript tooling for Angular. Cool. And I'm Jonathan Turner. I'm the program manager for the TypeScript team. I started that right before we went public, so uh, in 2012. So I've been doing that for the last three years or so. Now, you're at Microsoft, right? That's right. Okay, I was just making sure you both weren't at Google and like my mind hadn't been blown. <laughs> Whoa! So Microsoft Wait. and Google are friends? I yeah, I thought that was Crazy. the more mind-blowing part. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah I, guess, I guess that's the other mind-blowing part, yeah. I guess both companies are made of people, so people can like people. <laughs> Can you talk about how that came about? Well, actually, before that, you should talk about what TypeScript is. Sure. So TypeScript, I guess the kind of the rundown that, uh, that we always kind of give is like TypeScript is a typed superset of JavaScript. It's just based on like the standard JavaScript language that everyone knows and loves. And on that, we have a couple of additional features. So it used to be back in 2012, those additional features were things like ES6 features like classes and modules and arrow functions. But now everyone has those, right? So the superset includes uh, features from ES7, so feature, future versions of JavaScript, those kind of features. And of course, TypeScript and the name types. You have this type system that you can, that you can use to find bugs and, and get good tooling in your code. The TypeScript type system is a bit different than a lot of type systems because it's, it's optional. You can use it in places that you want type checking but there's also ways to kind of turn it off. So you can use what's called the any type and kind of turn off the type checking. So those kind of features together, the type checking and being able to compile JavaScript down to earlier versions of JavaScript kind of is what TypeScript is. So TypeScript has been around for a few years. I feel like it was the first typed JavaScript dialect that I was familiar with. Can you talk about the journey to Google and Microsoft kind of joining forces on it? Sure. I think probably the, the one that precede us was the Google Closure Compiler. 
Uh, so you could put type annotations in comments. So the TypeScript syntax is a little bit simpler. You can kind of write the type annotation directly beside like the variable or, or beside the function parameter. How did we get started on our, on our journey of the Google and Microsoft working together? So back last year around NG Europe, maybe I think just before NG Europe, we got on a phone call with the Angular team. Uh, at that time, Rob Eisenberg was was kind of helping out with the Angular 2 project and had suggested, we, you know, it sounded like the, the kinds of things that Angular 2 needed to kind of do good tooling. There was a lot of emphasis on being able to do a good tooling story for Angular 2. And, of course, what TypeScript already cared about, which was tooling. So it was like, you guys should really just kind of get on the phone and talk to each other and see if there's like a good overlap in what you, you know, what one side can provide, what one side needs. So we started talking around like October, November last year, if I recall right. And at that time, they're well on their way to creating this thing called AtScript, which was uh, kind of ostensibly a, a superset of TypeScript, just like TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript. So we, we flew down and talked with them for a while about, you know, can we take the features and the philosophy of AtScript and can we fold that into what TypeScript can do? You know, how, how much do we overlap? And if we overlap enough, it seems like, well, this is kind of silly. Let's just take those features and that capability and kind of make TypeScript be able to do that. Uh, and that's kind of how things got started. So this is like the opposite of the XKCD problem where there are 15 different versions and then someone <laughs> yeah. finds a problem. They're like, oh, I will make a 16th version and the 16th version will solve all the problems. That's, yeah, I don't know. It's actually an interesting blog post where the guy basically used that reference to that same cartoon and talked about the same thing like, you never see consolidation of tools in the JavaScript world. So when it does happen, it's worth like trumpeting over. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, and thank goodness, because even though the Angular team is, is very high output, it would have been a big challenge to make at script something that everybody could use and get all the right tooling oh, around oh, it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Mishko's an ambitious guy, and I wouldn't put it past him. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we're all really fortunate that uh, we were able to convert it completely to TypeScript. So how did TypeScript have to change in order to accommodate Angular's needs? So there's a, a couple of features that AtScript added to the kind of thing that TypeScript already did, which was the type checking piece of it. One of them was this, what we were calling at the time annotations, the ability to kind of put metadata onto your functions and your classes so when we started working on it, that was one of the first ones we tackled. I sit on TC39 sometimes. That's the, the JavaScript standards body. And I knew then that Yehuda Katz, who um, you may know. Have you guys interviewed Yehuda yet? He was one of the original uh, panel members on the show. Nice, nice. So, yeah, I knew Yehuda was already working on something similar for the ES7. So we're like, all right, Yehuda, why don't you and us work together on this. And Rob Eisenberg, who I mentioned earlier, kind of also was thinking about you know, how does this work with his new framework called Aurelia. So we started brainstorming and we kind of dug up Yehuda's old notes and we looked through the things that Angular 2 is going to need. And we said, well, there's enough overlap that we think it's just one feature we're trying to describe. We just have slightly different philosophy uh, on that. And it took us a little while to kind of settle on something that would do the majority of the cases for both groups. But there again, I think it's like one of those, instead of making two separate standards, we worked extra hard to try to make a single standard that worked, worked for different libraries. So that was one of the things that we needed to add. So we've been, Yuta and I have been kind of working up the spec and working um, on TC39 to try to standardize this feature. Uh, one of the other things that AdScript had was a runtime type system, like you could take a class and then say, all right, give me all, all the uh, dependencies so I can do dependency injection. And I want to know all the types of all those dependencies so I can make sure I instantiate it correctly. So we're also working on things that you can do that in TypeScript. It's a little bit more experimental because there's some limitations to how it works, but you can get some of that same functionality. Since we talked about, like Jameson said, TypeScript being around for a while, uh, and I see that it has been, and this is probably going to get into another library that we've talked about before, but what do you think the surge in interest has been in getting something like this into JavaScript? Like, what is driving that? The surge of interest around getting something like decorators? or uh, no. Well, 
just like a type checker. Like we're talking about how Angular had included now uh, TypeScript instead of AtScript. And then uh, a couple episodes in the past, we had Flow. And so like coming from someone who's a little bit newer to this, I'm curious um, like what, what the surge in interest is in having something like this in JavaScript. Sure. I think there's a couple of factors. Like I'm, I wouldn't say I can, I can kind of put my finger on like one, one thing that was causing this. But I think a couple of them, one would be people are writing larger and larger apps in JavaScript. And so it's kind of handy to have the type checker be like a lightweight set of unit tests for you. So these are unit tests that you can just kind of sprinkle them in your code and the compiler can do a, a set of initial tests for you uh, so you don't have to kind of take extra time and write the unit tests. So there, there's some nicety there. Having a better tooling story. So, for example, if you spend a lot of time in you know, VI or TextMate or something and, and that's where you do most of your writing, maybe you don't have an experience with autocomplete and, and being able to do like really smooth refactoring code navigation. Um, but people coming from editors uh, like uh, Eclipse or Visual Studio, it's nice when you get used to that, you kind of want that to translate whenever you move to a new language. So moving to JavaScript from something like Java or from C Sharp, you want to be able to still have that nice tooling experience. And I think TypeScript kind of lets you straddle those two sides. So you're still writing in JavaScript, but you can give the, the IDE just enough information that it can give you good refactoring and, and good kind of error checking and navigation at the same time. One thing that I've seen with type systems and the arguments for and against is that it's really convenient to do things with duct typing. So instead of expecting a particular type, say, you know, it has to be a number or has to be, you know, a particular class, you know, as long as it implements the interface that we expect. And I know I'm, I'm setting things up nicely for, for <laughs> an argument from TypeScript, but because I went and played with it and I was like, oh, that's really cool. But anyway, so, you know, we kind of rely on the interface to give us our typing as opposed to, you know, explicitly checking to see what it is. So why do we need a type system or when is the trade-off worth it? And what does TypeScript give us that allows us to do that kind of thing? Sure. I think it's going to be that, that line is going to be different for different people. Some people want that error checking and want that extra confidence earlier rather than later. Uh, some people, you know, they feel like the unit tests are plenty, and, and that's fine. I think that I think that's, that kind of variety uh, is great to have in the community. We should always have that kind of variety. Like you're saying, though, TypeScript does give you a lot of stuff that maybe a lot of type systems generally don't. So you can do something that's more duct typing. Like I can just say, as long as the object that you're passing me has a field called name, that's good enough. And that's the only thing I care that the type checker check. And you can describe that in the TypeScript type system. Yeah, I think that's really critical for one of the things that's been most useful to us on Angular about using TypeScript is that we can very incrementally move our code over. So in our case, we were moving over from AtScript, which was pretty similar. But even for some of the other projects we've worked on, the ability to say that you know in this spot we're expecting something with a name without having to go and find all of the call sites and change the types there or declare anything on the types there um, is really powerful. And, of course, then if you renamed name or if you said, oh, I'm expecting name and, and also address, then the compiler can help you to see all of the call sites, whether those two properties are available. And then you discover, oh, I thought I had address on everything I was passing into here, but it turns out in this spot I didn't. One of the other things that we're doing more recently, kind of to the, to the earlier question, like not just annotating types on your functions or parameters. But inside the function, you might say something like, okay, if X is an instance of something or X is a type of something, right? in that if check, I know if it's an instance of, some, of a particular class or I know it's a, you know, the same type of like number. So let's just have the type system you know, know that just because of the context that it's in. So we're starting to add stuff like that. So more natural JavaScript patterns you know, you can do more and more flexible duct typing and then inside the function body still get good type checking. Can you talk about the thought process that the Angular team had around creating a new language? Like to me, the idea of solving a problem by creating a new language is scary because I don't have a background in compilers. But how do you decide whether it's worth it in general where you say like this problem is large enough that we'll spend a bunch of engineering time on this thing that isn't our core problem, but it will help us solve our core problem? 
Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Um, actually, actually, yeah. Related to that, there was that thing on Hacker News recently about fog bugs and them moving away from their proprietary language. So it, it's kind of a theme that's come up lately, like the trade-offs between creating your own language and not. Yeah. So I, I wasn't on the team at the time. My secondhand understanding of it that I can relate is that with Angular 2, the team is taking a little bit wider view of the problem. And a lot of the issues that people had in using Angular 1, we would like to solve whether or not it's you know typically within the framework's boundaries. So for example, providing a CLI tool to help you get your build process bootstrapped isn't something that shipped with Angular 1. And that's something that we would like to work on for Angular 2. So one of these kind of problems was, what do we do with really large-scale applications? So as Jonathan pointed out, there are now a number of very large applications at both at Google and at Microsoft written in JavaScript, and it's hard for a large distributed team to be able to reason about and safely make changes to that code base. So while it may not be important for a small-scale, quick prototype kind of application, as you start to sort of climb this maturity ladder in how long you want your application to be able to live, we found that it was really important to be able to specify types and to declare metadata in a really clean way that's more maintainable and more readable. So I think, you know, if you think of it as as use-case-driven design, the use case here was somebody writing code in Angular 2 really needs to be able to express it in this way. So at first, writing a new language, as you say, it's, it's not typically a good idea. And the team was able to do it pretty quickly because we were using Tracer as the, the ES6 to ES5 compiler. And so by simply extending Tracer, we were able to add support for, these, for the sprinkle of new language features that we needed. And so as far as developing Angular 2 itself, doing that in AtScript was pretty doable. But of course, making AtScript available for everybody else in the world to use, there's a lot more work to put into that. So I think that's where it would have been impractical. And, and so the idea of making a new language, fortunately, we didn't have to follow through on it. So would now be a good time to describe the Angular 2 component system and how it uses these new annotations for classes specifically to decorate them and declare them and then make them useful for your application? Sure. I'm not going to go into that in too much depth as far as uh, you know, how to wire together a whole Angular 2 application. Um, I think there are probably better resources for that. But specifically for using the TypeScript language features... So the idea is, yeah, so to declare a component in Angular 2, you do that with, a, with an ES6 class. And there's some metadata that you want to be able to attach to a component. So like what HTML template should be used to render its view. And so we have a view decorator. So you would say at sign view above your class, and you would be able to say where the template is, or you can specify the template in line. And you know something like ES6 uh, string interpolation literals are great for that. You might also want to be able to describe what directive you want to attach in the HTML to this component. So again, you would be able to add directives by using an at directive annotation that sits directly on the class. So there are only a handful of these annotations right now, but they let you do all of the wiring that was really kludgy and hard to read in Angular 1. So specifically, we're talking this replaces the dot directive function where you used to register directives in Angular 1, right? Yeah, I believe so. Can you talk a little bit more about the annotation? And isn't that related to decorators in ES6? I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on that specific feature yes. of ES6. So Jonathan was touching on this earlier when he mentioned that there were a few different use cases to take into consideration. So for most users, you, would, you can't see the difference between a, what we call a decorator and what we call an annotation. They're both an at sign followed by some identifier, followed by parentheses, followed by some arguments. But internally, there's a difference in what's a valid expression to put after the at sign and also how it gets evaluated. And so decorators is, is the thing that will become hopefully part of the ES7 standard. And uh, annotations are in Dart. And since Angular 2 transpiles to Dart as well, internally, we have to be able to talk in both annotations and decorators. But for everyone using it in, in JavaScript or in TypeScript, decorators is the thing that you will use. And what about the difference between annotations and decorators? I think at this point, it's probably maybe just more helpful just think of everything as decorators. So the ES7 decorator proposal allows you to do things like attach metadata, which make it feel more like what uh, AdScript would call an annotation. So I just have an add sign, and I, I that invokes a function. But the only job of this function is to stick a little bit of metadata on the class or whatnot. So it's it's not actually doing anything that would change the class behavior at all. And so that's kind of the more declarative that annotations are. Decorators are a little bit more flexible. They can do more than just attach metadata. But the standard is just the decorator piece, like being able to describe doing that. 
And then we're also working on a metadata, like extensions to the metadata API in TC39 so that we can describe, you know, okay, so you call the decorator, but then how do I describe what the decorator is doing, you know, when it's attaching metadata? So um, that's another thing we're trying to standardize. So is it fair to call annotations a subset of decorators? If you say that, Mishka will kind of look at you funny. Yeah, yeah. People who aren't Mishko, exactly is it okay that. for them to think of it that way? I don't yes. think that anybody will need to use the word annotation, and so we should probably just strike it from your vocabulary unless you happen it's to be using decorators. darts. Decorators is the thing. Well, I think it's also kind of funny because in Angular 2, there was supposed to be this thing called decorators, but once the naming committee for TC39 picked up decorators, then... You know, they wanted it to be annotations, it became decorators, and so then they lost, they actually had to pull something out of Angular 2. Yes, yes. the namespace for names in Angular 2 is hotly contested. Yes. <laughs> we've, had, we've had whole meetings about what viewport is. <laughs> they should, uh, it's like a domain squatting almost. Yes, it is, exactly. It's too bad that there's only a single namespace for us to choose from. Right. <laughs> and that namespace is English, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, just start picking Japanese words. It's also no. It's not just English. It's sensical words from English. So right. not, not to harp not to harp on decorators and annotations too much because I understand it's a nuanced topic. But are decorators as proposed and as implemented by TypeScript are they closer to Python decorators or closer to like C sharp annotations? They're closer to Python decorators in spirit. So this thing is powerful enough that it can replace the declaration of the thing that you're decorating. Um, so it. I could replace a class and then it comes out and it does something different than it came in doing. Or a function expression could come out different. It could call into a log, do a log thing, and then come back to your function, or not even invoke your function. So it's pretty powerful. I really, really enjoy Python decorators. Super powerful. And, and you can implement the concept of annotations with them, because they're powerful enough to do that. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yes, and I, I believe that Angular doesn't have an intention of using those kinds of metaprogramming features. We, for us, it's, it's, it's only declarative metadata that we intend to, to use decorators for. But obviously, you and your application, if you're, if you're writing TypeScript, you could make your own decorators and have them do more of the metaprogramming kind of things. So we've talked a little bit about kind of the overlap between TypeScript and yes, whatever, yes, 20 XT6. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about where the balance is between implementing these new features in TypeScript and farming them out to something like Babel? So not to like get your hackles up, but we did talk to another typed JavaScript implementation. <laughs> and and one Don't of the Don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> they'll just qu- they'll rage quit on us. And they're yeah. actually waiting on the line now. Yeah, yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> and now they're in your office and you have to Jerry, Jerry. arm wrestle or something. One of their big struggles was keeping up with the new developments in the language because people are, if you're using pure JavaScript, you just get them whenever Babel implements them. It takes longer for them to implement them in their own language. Is there a way to farm that out to the, something like Babel so you don't have to duplicate the work of copying every new yes, whatever feature into your language? I mean, I think that's a great question that we're still kind of wrestling with ourselves, I mean, to be perfectly honest. The actual transpilation part isn't generally as difficult as coming up with a really easy-to-use type system that works with all the features. And so a lot of the time that, that we spend, you know, so it took us, once we kind of focused on getting ES6 features into TypeScript, it still took us a little while to be able to do that. But in large part, that was just design meetings around how to make a type system that really feels good as you use it. Like it doesn't get in your way a lot, but it still helps you catch errors and, and kind of do all the things that a type system should do. The actual being able to transpile like class expressions or, or whatnot down is generally not as bad. Things like generators actually can be a little bit hairy, but um, most features are, are fairly clean output. So that said, though, I'm still talking with Sebastian and some of the Babel guys about what are ways that we can work together, and I think we're still going to continue brainstorming that. That was a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> Just like, well, yeah, yeah. that's fair. I mean... About- I'm all about like collaborating and trying to find ways that you know projects can work together. Maybe that's my my sure. I I guess I wanted you to say like, yeah, you can do it today, and here's how: press this button on your keyboard. But it sounds like it's more of a future goal. I mean, you can you can of course use TypeScript as the the transpiler. 
Um, and you can do a lot of the things that you can do with other transpilers. We just added, for example, system.js support, so you can transpile on the fly in your web pages. The tricky uh, thing is there's always another feature. And I, I found that in keeping up with Flow. Like As soon as they implement one new feature, we're excited. And then we're just like, when can they get this next thing done? Oh. So I just want it all at once, I guess, is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm really impatient and ungrateful yeah. for all of your hard work. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's tricky, too, because there's so many things that we want to do. You know, we get ES6, we're starting to wrap that up. And we're already hot on the trail of like things like you know, GSX support, and that just landed, and we're trying to do ES7 features. And, you know. So yeah, keep them busy. We've talked a lot about Angular and TypeScript, um, and you just said JSX support. So how many people do you see using this not in Angular? It's just, uh, I guess I'm asking maybe some naive questions just because um, and the people that I talk to, it's just not like hot on their list of things to check out. So I'm just curious. <laughs> sure. Um, so you're asking how many people outside of Angular users are using TypeScript? Yeah, it just seems like the people I talk to um, who aren't using Angular, uh, it's just not like strong on their list of things to look at. So I'm curious how many people you guys see that are doing that. So we did a survey maybe close to six months to a year ago, and we just wanted to get kind of a sense for how people are using TypeScript. We knew that we wouldn't, you know, we don't have every user's phone number like in our Rolodex where we can call up everyone and ask them how they're doing, you know, what they're doing. Oh, I thought a Microsoft of, had that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a secret feature we don't tell people about. A lot of people use it in kind of like internal development. So it sounds like over 50% of people are using TypeScript for internal development. So we're not even sure how that's what libraries they're using it for, what systems they're using it for. I can tell you a lot of like big name software and hardware companies use it. A lot of big financial institutions use it. And so I think it, like Alex was saying before, there's just kind of a sweet spot with if your team grows to a particular size, there's definitely gets to be more and more interest in like how can we manage a larger team or multiple teams working together uh, on a project that's largely JavaScript based. Does that kind of answer the question? Uh, yeah, that's, that's somewhat. <laughs> I have some TypeScript and I think it's great, Amy. I'll be your data point. <laughs> <laughs> I was so I just wrote in the channel. I think I've been like brainwashed maybe by people around me who oh I I don't know like when I Google though I feel like a lot of and I'm totally trying to I guess I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit but <laughs> you know so many people who just want to stick with ES6 and Babel so uh, and then if they want they can add like flow on top of that for things but just trying to make you guys like have a good argument for why people should look into this if they're opposed right now. Sure. I, I think there's, you know, it's funny, I'm almost going to do Babel's job for them. Like, Babel is basically just comes out and says, look, if you want vanilla JavaScript, and you want to write it today, and use all the new features of JavaScript, use us. And that is a very clean, straightforward story. Like, you're just, oh, yeah, I can just use JavaScript, I can use Babel, and then it's good. With TypeScript, you're basically saying, oh, there's there's additional things I want. I don't want just compiling down clean JavaScript. I want these other things that TypeScript provides. Yeah, definitely. I have um, to say, though, that one thing that I see is I see people that are still, you know, on the ES5 bandwagon. It's like, why <laughs> should I change at all? Yeah. You know? Because yeah. as soon as Some you move them, to ES6, then you have to have a compiler, and you have to have this tool chain. Oh, and that's not, that's not really true, though, isn't it? Modern browsers can run ES6 just fine, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as long as all your users not, are on Chrome. Not quite yet, yeah. But no, that's it's it's coming, right? And the, and you can always look at the compatibility table and and judge which ES6 features you act, you you imagine your target users will will have. But it's a risky approach to take. Yeah. To further try to sell people who might be opposed, what about using this on a project that already exists? Because I've also heard the argument: well, you know, if you already have the project that already exists, it's just going to be too hard to go in and and do that. So I know you guys said at the beginning that you didn't think that that was a problem, but sure. I mean, just a kind of sanity check. This morning, actually, I took a project and moved it over from JavaScript to TypeScript. So I, I grabbed the latest bootstrap and said, all right, let's say I don't know much of anything about this. I actually don't know how, didn't know how bootstrap was structured when I grabbed it. I just grabbed it and said, okay, I don't know anything about this project. Let's just pretend I'm one of the bootstrap developers, move it to TypeScript and see what it feels like. 
And there's definitely a couple of, of rough spots as you get started. And I think people generally, if they try it and they hit a rough spot and it just hits them wrong, they're going to be like, oh, God, this is not worth it. You know, for example, they have to learn a little bit about how the TypeScript type system works, or they're not going to be able to answer the compiler's questions of like, what type is this expression? I don't understand it. If you can kind of get over that hump where you're using a set of tools like, you know, in Bootstrap's case, they're built on Grunt, so you have to go get the Grunt TS extension to build the TypeScript stuff in Grunt. Okay, that's not too bad. Uh, if I learn a little bit of the type system, I know just enough to kind of shut the type system up when it's kind of complaining about little bits and pieces. And in Bootstrap's case, I could just kind of repeat myself. Once I understood that pattern, I could just repeat myself a few times, and then largely things just started going through the compiler without any complaint. Once I got to the other side of this, so it probably took me once you know I got all the requirements for building Bootstrap down, and I actually started the conversion... It didn't take that long. It was probably on the order of a little bit less than half an hour. So I've converted, you know, the lion's share of Bootstrap over from JavaScript to TypeScript. Now, at that point, I could open something like VS Code, which is kind of our, our cross-platform editor, and I can open Bootstrap, all now written in TypeScript, and start, you know, working with it as a TypeScript project. And that's where it actually starts to see a lot of the benefits. Like, you know, I can give it a bit of jQuery help, and now I have jQuery IntelliSense. So I can dot into, you know, dollar dot, and now I get all the, the help for what, what's in, in jQuery, for example. Uh, so that's where it really started to shine. But it took, you know, it takes getting over that initial hump, I think, to start really starting to see it shine. I had some uh, recent experience. This is actually a combination of Visual Studio Code. But I was doing some testing, and man, Visual Studio Code automatically prompted me and said, hey, do you want to bring in the uh, type library for Mocha and Chai? So I said yes, and then all of a sudden I was getting all this IntelliSense for how to do Mocha and Chai, and it was actually really cool. So that's one of the things that I like about TypeScript, and I will admit readily that I have not used it very much. In fact, uh, I've used it very little, but I really like that piece. And so for people that are like, looking at TypeScript and saying, well, I'm not really interested. One of the things I really liked about it was just it's a very gentle, like because it's a super set of, of JavaScript, it's such a gentle uh, way to ease in to using it and then slowly use it more and more if you want or not use it at all. And, and you can use it just as a transpiler too. Yeah, something we haven't mentioned is that it's even useful even if the compiler is complaining, it will still emit your code anyway. So you really have a wide choice of options of, of what you of, of how strict you would like the compiler to be and how and how how much you want to sort of turn the knobs and tighten it down as your application becomes mature. But when you start, you can turn all those knobs to zero. And also, we didn't explicitly mention that there's a very large community that is creating the typings files. So you mentioned Mocha and Chai and how great it is that the IntelliSense just clicks on. So that exists for a very large number of JavaScript libraries today. So you can continue using whatever dependencies you have, and uh, in most cases you can just bring the typings in so that your TypeScript code understands the shape of that API. Now, just to be clear, if I am testing and I'm not using a system that does this for me automatically, do I have to compile my TypeScript before I can test it? So it depends, of course, what runtime you're using for executing your tests. But if you're in a if you're running your tests in, in a standard browser that doesn't understand all the ES6 language constructs, then yeah, you'd have to transpile it with something for it to be runnable. Okay. It's true that there's no runtime actual like interpreter for TypeScript, right? Every TypeScript always compiles to JavaScript and then is executed by the browser or by whatever JavaScript runtime you're using, right? That's right. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised now that uh, TypeScript has the system JS emit if we don't see some of the testing frameworks be able to support bringing the TypeScript files into the browser and transpile them on the fly and make that a little bit more seamless. And I may not have been clear about this when I was talking about my example, but one of the funny things was I wasn't actually using specifically TypeScript. I was just taking advantage of the type definition file and Visual Studio Code's uh, integration with it. So I wasn't actually like using a TypeScript compiler. I think I was actually... I, I think I was using Babel or I was using nothing, but I was able to take advantage of what TypeScript, you know, kind of the underworkings of TypeScript and give me that IntelliSense into Mocha and Chai without actually really truly using TypeScript, which I thought was completely cool. There's actually, um, so VS Code uh, has this cool feature where you can just be working in a JavaScript file and then 
as long as you have the TypeScript type information lying around. So I think it sounds like you pulled some of these DTS files from definitely type. And as Alex said, yeah, it like, prompted prompt me. Like it knew what I was dealing with. It knew that I was using Chai and it said, hey, do you want to grab that Chai type definition file and make it bring it local so that we can use it? I just yeah. said yes. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's slick. like, it's pretty cool that you can just stay in JavaScript and it gives you, as you call into those library functions, you get all the help. It's kind of cool. So speaking of tools, this is something AJ asked, but this is something I want to know about too, mainly because uh, I use a real text editor. I don't use Vim. I use Emacs. But he said, uh, or he asked, the linting static analysis process is more than just a profile analysis. To analyze your main app.ts pretty much requires analyzing every file you require. So how do you conquer that for tools like Vim or Emacs? So there's a, a couple ways that you can kind of set the modes in the compiler. You can set it so that it will track down through all of your imports and anything that you reference, and then type check everything that it can find. And that's kind of the default mode, because for a lot of people, that's the mode you want, right? You're pointing at a file, and then that file represents the start of your project, and it's going to go find the rest of it for you. You can turn that off, so the compiler can be set to not track all its dependencies or all the references. But generally, that's a little bit more advanced, because you kind of have to know what you're doing at that point. Uh, but you can get into those extra modes. Yeah, I was just going to say that, I mean, typically what where you want the linting and static analysis is for things like your syntax highlighting and autocomplete and things like that. And so if you set those up in Vim or Emacs, you know, it's nice to have tools that can just tell you where you're at and what you're dealing with. Yeah, that's right. So, so Jonathan didn't mention that one of the great things I think about TypeScript is that they started from the beginning with understanding what tooling was going to be required, especially in editors. And so TypeScript itself provides this TypeScript services, which can run in sort of as a daemon and understands your code. It sits next to the editor. And then so the editor integrations are really very slim. And it just says, oh, the, you know, the person hit whatever the keystroke is for completion. Just ask the running TypeScript language services for this symbol, what are the available completions? And that TypeScript services daemon can keep the, the state of your code and incrementally update. So depending on which editor you're in and, and how well that plugin has been written, maybe there was a case when you were trying it in Vim that it wasn't actually keeping that state around, and that was why it felt slow, but that's, that's not how it should be. Yeah, and the other question AJ had was also somewhat related to this, and it was most of the time I'm also using libraries outside of the TypeScript ecosystem of my JavaScript. So I'm assuming that's other JavaScript libraries that aren't written in TypeScript. How can I use those without having to deal with dozens of errors each time I bring one in, or do I just have to clone the whole definitely typed repo every time I want to start a project and hope that the lib I'm using there is in there? So with definitely typed, there is quite a lot. But if it's something where you're like, oh, gosh, I just don't want to even have to find this thing. I just, you know, let's say take jQuery. I just want to start calling things off dollar sign. Mm -hmm. You can, at the top of your file, you can say declare var and then the dollar sign. And that will basically say, yes, I promise you, compiler, there's something in the global namespace called dollar sign. Every time I call it, just leave me alone. And that way you can kind of shut up large swaths of type errors by just promising to the compiler that, yes, there is something there. It will be available at runtime. Yeah, we've, we've made use of that a, a lot to, if we have something that's just declared on the, on the global object or on window. The, since interfaces are open in TypeScript, at the top of your file, you can just say interface window and then declare a couple of extra methods or members. And that also makes the compiler happy. I have one more question about the type definition files. For me, the, it w that part was actually a little frustrating because the type definition files are great. It's great that there's this large repository but it felt like it was painful to integrate them with my project. It was like going back to good old 2009 where you just copy and paste some code into a file in your folder. Is there a way to manage those? Like you would use NPM to manage your modules or something like that? Yes, there's a program that's very much modeled after NPM called TSD, which is TypeScript definition. And it uses the, the GitHub repository called Definitely Typed as the, you know, the package uh, repository. And then you can have a JSON file locally in your project that indicates which of those typings you want, and it will pull them down. You can add a command in your NPM, uh, in your package JSON that says, whenever I do NPM install, I also want it to run the TSD program to make sure that my local typings are in sync. And so on Angular, we use that TSD.json file to keep the typings directories in sync across all the developers and for the continuous integration to have the, the typings present. Cool. Does that kind of import them into the namespace as well? Because I remember there was a little bit of stuff you had to do to point to where they were. 
Right. So there's a couple of options. Um, the TSD program creates a bundle file at the top level that just includes everything that you've brought in with TSD. So you could point your TypeScript files to that bundle for the definitions. And a better option now when, in TypeScript, when TypeScript 1.5 is released is that you can use a tsconfig.json file, which, again, is checking config- configuration in is a much better way to share this among your developers than for everybody to have their own local settings. Uh, and that file, as long as you've listed the, the type definitions in there, then you don't have to reference them from your sources at all. And the compiler will know to look at that config file and pull in all the libraries and all the dependencies that you need. Cool. Yeah, so we're using that stuff pretty heavily on Angular, and we're following the development of TSD. Uh, and They have a, a little bit of a future roadmap plan to add more of the things that we would like to see there. So, yeah, it's really cool. And we're obviously publishing Angular's type definitions to definitely typed. So we haven't talked ton we kind of mentioned it in passing but we haven't talked a ton i feel like about the actual content of the type system i feel like a lot of people might have played with like java or c plus plus and some of those people might hate typed languages because they hate the type systems in java or c plus plus do you want to talk a little bit about how typescript is different and better and and magical sure Speaking of things to go watch, I was just thinking, so I just talked a little bit about this in the uh, Angular U talk, and they just posted those videos. So if you search for oh, Angular cool. U and, and my name, I, I think you should be able to get some of this. But the gist of what I say in that talk is that TypeScript's type system is a much more modern type system than things like Java. And not to pick on Java, but you know, it is a little bit long in the tooth now, and that's, that's fine. But like in Java, you had to repeat yourself a lot. You know, I had to say something like, my class C equals new my class and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, why am I having to repeat so much? Like you, you can infer so much more about my code than you're letting on. So in TypeScript, we do a lot of inference. So you can infer, uh, for example, if I say var x equals and then I give some expression, we can calculate the type of that expression and then say, all right, you created a variable with that type, done. You don't have to say it explicitly. We can just infer from what you've uh, initialized it with. We can go a step further. So, for example, let's say I'm calling a function, and that function takes a callback. So when I pass that callback in, you know, I'm typing that callback into my editor. Well, we know the types of the, the parameters because we know, let's say, the type of the callback. So that type information can kind of flow in multiple directions around your code. So you don't have to type the type as often. It can be calculated by the compiler and kind of, you know, let you like muddy your code less and less with with type annotations. So there's there's that piece of it. Uh, we were talking about things that are more structured. Like if if it you know walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You know, we can just talk about just the little bit of structure that you require without making a whole class hierarchy and like all the the gobbledygook that you're kind of used to from things like Java. You don't have to do that. Everything is really lightweight when you're saying, okay, here's my, here's just the pieces I need. And I kind of hinted at it before, but you can also use this thing called any. And any says, it can be any type whatsoever. If I assign to an any or I assign from any to something else, don't check it. So it's a good way to kind of jump in and say, all right, I don't know how to type this correctly. I'm just going to say, boom, you're of type any, and uh, that's it. Don't say anything else. And so I think it's important that the type checker helps you when it can come in and help you and, and error check. But it's also important for it to get out of the way when you don't need it there um, so you can you know, kind of do your work. So you mentioned the word duck in there, and I know earlier uh, Chuck mentioned the word duck as well. So duck typing, as I understand it, is the idea that you don't have to declare an interface in order to implement an interface, but rather the language can define based on what methods you're calling and things you're doing to an object that whether or not it conforms to an interface without actually having to have a first-class interface declared. Python does this at runtime. Go does this at compile time. Java doesn't have this at all, to my knowledge. You actually have to write the interface. What does TypeScript do with that? Or does it support that at all? So it does a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. So you can do, you know, just like in Java, you can do an interface and fully write out the full interface. And then as long as something explicitly implements it, you can use it. Right. In TypeScript, you can still use interfaces, but what you're talking about is like the structure of that object. So as long as something matches, an object has at least what that interface says, then it succeeds and it kind of goes through. Instead of writing a whole interface, you can just do 
what looks like an object literal in the place of the type and say, all right, as long as it has a particular field, that's good enough. And what I was kind of alluding to earlier, you can just elide that all together. And then in the function body, you can say, all right, if the type of X is a number, then, you know, treat it like a number. So you can, you know, in that case, you're just going from knowing nothing about it to doing a simple type check, uh, type test, and then that's enough to kind of say what the type is. So you have is, different levels of, yeah, go ahead. Is that if you're talking about, is that a compile time or a runtime check? That last one is a runtime check, um, but the type checker understands it and says, ah, I understand the, the kind of the form of if that you're using, and that form of if is something that's like a type check. So I'll assume inside of this if body that I know the type of the, the thing that you're checking. There's one more thing I kind of want to go to, and that is, and I think we've talked a lot about it, but I just want to kind of call it out explicitly. You know, there were a lot of questions about, well, what what about these naysayers and what they think? But I think the biggest problem that TypeScript and a lot of the other technologies that we're talking about face are really just that, you know, getting people to care in the first place. You know, getting people that place where they see TypeScript or, you know, some other compiled JavaScript language or some build system as a necessity to their system and recognize that it's going to solve certain problems for them. So so how do you explain to people what TypeScript is in a way that tells them that they need it? I you know for me I think the way is like you need it if you want it. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's Yeah, just, how do you do the same thing with ES6 really? Yeah, like do you need to use classes? No, no, I just use functions and closures. Okay. <laughs> right? That's so, totally cool. I, I would love to talk about this for a minute. Earlier you mentioned that uh, you use a real editor rather than Vim. And you know, with editors, we're all used to this sort of religious battle that everyone has their favorite and they don't really care to change that. Yeah, we say um, that kind of thing tongue-in-cheek. Right. But, I mean, we all do. We have preferences. Like, I, you know, I, I work on a Mac. I don't usually use Windows. And some people usually use Windows and they wouldn't want to work on a Mac. And we make these choices and we kind of associate with them. But I feel like as a software engineer, as you, as you go through your career, you eventually are sort of forced to accept that it doesn't benefit you to take a stand on something like is more tooling better or is less tooling better. And I think a much better way to think about it is how much tooling do I need to make myself productive and happy today and also to make myself productive and happy tomorrow. So if I'm writing an app that I expect to throw away, this is just I'm throwing something quick together so that I can, I can show it and I, chances are people aren't going to like it, then of course you do no tooling, you do no unit testing, you don't need a compiler to do type checking, you turn all the knobs to zero, including you know, use ES5. As you expect, you're going to write a large amount of code and it's going to live longer, then that immediate speed of execution starts to trade off against having to do maintenance work on this legacy code in like a year or two from now. And in that case, you're really happy if you had tooling there to, to help you avoid making simple mistakes because you simply don't remember this code base anymore. And so I think just like somebody who says unit tests are a waste of time, that's true for the first kind of app, and it's definitely not true for something large that you intend to maintain for a couple of years. And I think adding typings, as Jonathan said earlier, is kind of a form of unit testing. It's telling, like, the compiler is this tool that's telling you whether you did the right thing. And there are a lot of other tools that you can add, continuous integration and release tooling, that there's a right time and place for that. Um, and if you think in terms of, of your risks, your risks are shipping a bug to customers or not being able to edit this app and having to throw it away and start over. You want to cover your risks without slowing yourself down. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just not smart enough to understand my program, so types help with that. Just <laughs> well, some, something smarter than I am will will check that some of my assumptions are correct or incorrect. Yeah, it's like a note to yourself in the future, too. Yep. I don't remember where I put my wallet five minutes ago. I'm not going to remember what this weird argument in like the fifth <laughs> position of this argument list is that only gets used if the moon is aligned correctly or something. Dude, that is a fantastic example. I wonder if some of the people who are against it are the same people who don't think that they need to put comments in their code. <laughs> or who never lose their wallets. I know, I hate those moon alignment issues. I once got a note from myself in the, from the past and all it said was, you suck. <laughs> oh, oh, <poor> Joe. <laughs> kind of a pessimistic outlook. <laughs> and the, there's no way to tell past you, like, no, you suck. Yeah. You can only <laughs> communicate to future you. Right. You can't go back the other way. It's uh, really yeah. frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's like off-site. those guys that send you a nasty message in a game and then they quit out. Yeah. <laughs> that's past you. That's past you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, poor past Joe. 
how is the Angular and TypeScript relationship? I, I love the story you described of how it came to be. Uh, what, like, I mean, it's been probably seven or eight months now that this relationship's been going. You know, are you, are you still meeting together, or is TypeScript basically like, oh, we, we've built enough for Angular and now we're done? No. Or, you know, what's the future? It's been awesome working with the TypeScript team, and they're not paying me to say that. So we have a Slack channel where we're, we're on there all the time, asking questions back and forth. They've been really responsive about turning around new builds for us and getting, adding things like the System.js support. And we're typically on bleeding edge, you know, often on, on a fork out ahead of where TypeScript is right now. And, and so having their support has been really critical. So, yeah, it's been awesome. It's made our developers more productive. You know, a couple of people on the team are just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so much happier now that I can, I can safely refactor. So, yeah, it's great. From our side, I, don't, I, I love those guys. I, I have a blast. So whenever <laughs> we're, we're hanging out like NGConf or AngularU or, you know, I fly down and kind of just catch up, you know, we end up spending half the time goofing off. So there's, you know, it's kind of, uh, Brad likes to say that the Angular team doesn't make partners, they make friends. And I, I really think that's true. Like, they really put a lot of who they are into their products and their projects. But, like, who they are just kind of shows when you walk up to them at a conference and just start talking to them. I mean, they're, they're totally who they are all the time. Um, they're not just kind of like the corporate face or you know whatever something like that. So it's been a blast from our perspective. You know, like Alex was saying, we've got this Slack that we kind of chat back and forth on. But you know, email's always open, phones always open. We fly down and, and try to at least catch up team to team once every you know couple months or so. Yeah, we send each other pull requests on GitHub. I think our current most up to date Angular two example is actually under the Microsoft namespace back from the ngconf demo. When you said the Angular team doesn't, I can't remember what you said already. But I just imagine that there is like a star shooting across the screen. It just sounded so poetic. <laughs> Can you guys edit that in later? Yeah, like doodle 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 doodle. Well, I was hoping that you could actually have a star pop up on top of whatever podcast you know app that somebody's using. There we go. That's better than a star. All right, should we do some picks? Amy, do you want to start us with picks? Sure, I can go. Uh, so the first one I was going to pick is something, I, I think it's called Flux, and it is not the Flux you're thinking, <laughs> if I'm saying it correctly. Um, but it's a application you can get. Um, there's one for your phone, although it's not the greatest, but I use it on my laptop. And it dims your screen at certain times in the day, so the light's not as bright. And... I absolutely love this for at night. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be doing stuff at night as much as I do, but I do anyways, so it has helped. The other thing, I've been trying to explore uh, observables a little bit and get more into functional programming, and I saw it tweeted out a bunch and also did uh, watch a talk on it once before, but it's by Jafar Hussein, and it's called Learn Rx and he has a course on it on Egghead, um, but there's also this browser thing that, or like a browser tutorial that you can do on your own. So that is my second pick, and I'll put links up for both. They've been fun. All right, Jameson, do you have some picks for us? I totally have picks. So the first one is a website called startuptimelines.org, and it looks at the kind of changes to websites of these different successful startups. So you'll see like Dropbox's first website and Uber's first website and stuff like that. Uh, it's just really interesting to see how humble beginnings some of these giant tech juggernauts had. And then my next pick is a TV show called Friday Night Lights. It ended a long time ago, but I just binged a lot of it on Netflix over the past couple months, and it is so good. Oh, man, it's great. It sounds really boring, especially if you don't like sports, because it's about a high school football team in this small town in Texas. But they do a really good job of making it interesting, um, even if you're not a sports fan. And it, it probably has the, I'd say, one of the most like mature and adult and, and healthy-seeming relationships that I've seen on TV. Just like, what would you do if you weren't stupid and trying to create drama to make your plot interesting? Like, What would you do if you were a normal, smart, forgiving human being in these weird situations? So that's pretty cool to see, too. Uh, one more announcement. So React Rally conference for the React framework. It's in Salt Lake City, August 24th and 25th, and tickets are on sale right now. So if you go to reactrally.com, you can get yourself a ticket. We would love to see you there. And those are my picks, I guess. All right, Dave. 
Okay, I just have one pic to share with you today. Uh, it's an article written three years ago by a friend of mine called Unit Testing Isn't Enough, You Need Static Type Checking. And uh, it's uh, actually the result of his master's thesis where he took several programs written in Python uh, that had unit test coverage and ported them to a language with a strong type system, Haskell, and actually identified bugs in the programs that their unit tests didn't catch that the programs had that the Haskell type system caught. Uh, it's a really cool read. It's actually pretty controversial. It's generated a lot of buzz at the time it came. So anyway, it was pretty cool, and I recommend it as a good read. That's all my picks for you today. All right, Joe, what are your picks? All right, so I just got my acceptance to speak over at Angular Connect this fall, and I'm pretty jonesed about that. So I figure I ought to uh, give them a shout-out and pick the Angular Connect conference in the U.K. in October, last half of October, I think. And uh, I'll be there speaking on something at non-Angular. So I'm kind of what? excited about that. Yeah. I'll be speaking on empathy and listening to others in the workplace. Shut up. I'm just kidding. Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's not only kind of what I say is, here's how to empathize. Shut up. <laughs> so now I'm excited to uh, talk about some soft skills stuff. And then the other thing that I want to pick, it's actually two things. I learned it just this last weekend while I was out at AngularU from Patrick J.S., who's also known as Patrick Stapleton, ngclick.com and mdn.io. I had no idea these things existed. I have one pick. This is something that I'm really looking forward to playing with. Um, we did an episode about it this morning on Ruby Rogues, and it just looks cool. And basically what it is, well, it's Sonic Pi, sonic-pi.net. And basically, the cool thing about Sonic Pi is that it has a really simple kind of subset of Ruby that allows you to make music. Anyway, it's way cool. I, I really think it's awesome, and we were we were playing with it on the show. So it's also got a curriculum with it where you can teach kids how to program, and basically they're just programming up music. So it's it's way cool. Alex, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. I was going to mention Angular Connect, but it's too late that was taken. So my backup is actually um, a little bit of shameless, shameless self-promotion, a project I worked on, and it's in Java, so unless you do Java backends, it might not be that interesting. But the idea is to put static analysis into the compiler and uh, check for a lot of bug patterns other than just um, you know language spec syntax issues that the compiler typically catches. So it's called error-prone, and we have a, an easy way to add additional checks to to turn certain patterns into bugs. And the cool thing is we were able to use that to incrementally improve the Google Java code base by outlawing each pattern as we fix it across the entire code base and then we never have that bug again. And I'm hoping that I'll have a chance to do something like that inside of TypeScript also. Very cool. Jonathan, do you have some picks for us? Uh, so I've got two picks. One is something that I just did uh, at AngularU. I just kind of showed off it working. So it's kind of a simple JavaScript application, like really dirt simple actually. But you can see like a stage-by-stage -stage move from the JavaScript app through adding classes and modules and then finally gets into Angular 2 and starts using more and more Angular 2 uh, stuff. So that's kind of a cool, a cool little project. And then one that is totally not serious, but I was just thinking about the Nintendo World Championship just happened a week or two ago, and I am a total eSports nerd. So seeing like the Nintendo World Champion kind of made me think I was watching The Wizard again, which is totally awesome. <laughs> so uh, highly recommend going and watching that. If you watch any esports, you might recognize a couple of people in there. And it's totally, I won't give the spoiler away, but the, the end is incredibly entertaining. So The Wizard, I remember that. I was a kid when, yeah. Anyway, uh, well, thanks for coming, guys. If people want to know more about Angular or... TypeScript or how they work together or anything like that, where do they go? So if you want to learn more about TypeScript, uh, there's a couple of places you can go. You can go to the typescriptlang.org website, and that's like a you know the main TypeScript site. You can get a lot of documentation. There's samples. There's a playground that you can play with. The playground lets you kind of write TypeScript on the left-hand side and see what the resulting JavaScript is on the right-hand side, and then you know kind of use that to kind of explore TypeScript and its features. Alex, did you have any for the, the Angular 2 stuff? Yeah, so, so for Angular 2, the website is angular.io, and obviously you can also take a look at the GitHub page. We have started to carve out um, some small issues if people are interested in contributing. Obviously, if you want to write an Angular 2 application, the big question is, is it time yet? And the answer is no. All right. 
Well, let's uh, go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you guys for coming and sharing your expertise. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 